Hi, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast today. Big Friday news dump from Justin Trudeau. We look at what really is happening on Wall Street. Is this really a David and Goliath story with GameStop? Plus, can I get some wine from the Okanagan? Why not? And why am I playing with my fuckle wolf? Let's get to it. Why do politicians in this country think we're all idiots? Why? Why must we constantly put up with endless pre-messaging before any action? And why is it that every single time either the federal government or the provincial government does something and you think to yourself, well, now that's a good idea, and then immediately, immediately you think, we should have done this before. Every single time. This is a good idea. Why didn't we do it before? Finally, finally, Long discussed, hinted at, telegraphed, threatened, promised, and finally, now, out front of the Cozy Cottage PM, go! The government and Canada's main airlines have agreed to suspend service to some destinations right away. Air Canada, WestJet, Sunwing, and Air Transat are cancelling air service to all Caribbean destinations and Mexico starting this Sunday up until April 30th. That is the big announcement from Justin Trudeau. There was a number of other things he had to say there, but immediately as I did that, as he made that announcement, all Caribbean, and sun destinations. Wait a second. Is St. Bart's in the Caribbean? Oh, dang, it is. I'm going to have to call Rod Phillips. I guess we can't go. But here's the important thing. I can still go to, I don't know, Rome? There's a lot of other sunny destinations that can still go. Now, there are other restrictions announced by the Prime Minister today. Here are the travel restrictions as we break them down. New air travel rules coming to Canada include a second COVID-19 test needed upon arrival. Gee, where have I heard that before? Oh, yeah, the provincial government's going to make that very announcement this afternoon. The DOFO Show at a very special time today, 3 p.m. for the DOFO Show today. Doug Ford will be announcing that the province is going to do precisely the same thing. We'll talk more about that in a second. But after you come into Canada from a non-essential trip, you got a three-day mandatory hotel quarantine that's announced by the Prime Minister. That's going to set you back about two Gs. Two G's. It's not a Motel 6. It ain't going to be cheap. Two G's for your three-day mandatory hotel quarantine. Uh, if you get, uh, when you get your test back, if it is negative, then you got to go home for a 14-day quarantine. The government promising more enforcement of those quarantines. People going to come around to your house. You home? Hey, it's JT. You up? Uh, if it's positive... If your test comes back positive, then you got to quarantine for four days, 14 days in a government-sanctioned hotel. Generally, those are known as jails. But nevertheless, you would have to quarantine in a 14 or quarantine in a government hotel for 14 days to determine whether or not you had a variant of concern. I'm sorry, sir. Your con- your variant is very concerning. No start date yet for all of this. And this is going to be a thing that you're going to hear later today from Doug Ford. So the announcement comes through and you think to yourself, well, that's good. 
Obviously, Justin Trudeau has listened to Doug Ford, who's been calling for this, as has Quebec's premier and other premiers saying, like, we got to do this and we got to do it now. Turns out that the thing is not going to be up and running till mid-February on the federal side, and it looks like the Ontario government will be up and running with exactly the same thing, these tests, by next week. So that's going to be an issue throughout the, the course of the day. So, so we're clear on where we are here, though, in terms of timing. So we now are saying, okay, we're not going to let anybody go away to Mexico. No Cancun trips for you. Fine. That's great. That's a bit late. And we're all concerned about the VOC, the variant of concern. You know what I think to myself is I think when this whole pandemic is over, I'm going to start like a goth metal band called Variant of Concern tonight at the Horseshoe. Variant of concern with their worldwide smash. Needle me this. The variant of concern that is most concerning to us is known as B117. You may know it as the UK variant. That is the virus molecule with terrible teeth. By the way, the WHO, the World Health Organization, would like us all to stop calling it the UK variant because, remember, we can't call it You know, the China virus or the Wuhan flu, those things are absolutely not acceptable because they target a certain area and they carry a stereotype. We're not allowed to do that. But meanwhile, I can make jokes about bad teeth because we have a U.K. variant, and then I can make some jokes about a Brazilian variant. We've got a California variant. There's 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 a shrunken raisin in there somewhere. The WHO wants us all to come up with different names for it. So I'm not going to call it the, I'm going to try not to call it the UK variant. It's B117 for those of you keeping score at home. The VOC B117, because that rolls off the tongue. But let's get back to the issue at hand. VOC B117 was here in Canada in December. We knew this. We've known it for a long time. Here is Dr. David Williams from the modeling update in the province of Ontario just yesterday. Since the December and the end of December, it has been around. And with its transmissibility, there's a high chance that it's moving quite aggressively in some areas and leading to community-wide spread. And Dr. Yaffe and I have been alluding to that for the last number of weeks. The question is how wide and where are the impacts of that? Uh, That is Dr. David Williams who, again, always answers questions with answers. But the point I'm making here is he points out that we have we have known it has been here, the VOC B117, since December. And now here we are. Oh, I'm just checking my calendar. January 29th, we're starting to say, okay, we're really going to start cracking down on travelers. So it's here. We know it's here. It's spreading around. We have other variants of concern, VOCs all over the world, and now we are doing it. So good idea. You're a little tardy with your homework, JT. By the way, let me just ask this. With Dr. Williams, this thing about answering every question with a series of questions, it just must be... It's. It is just infuriating, and I, I listen to these updates over and over again, and you can't get a straight answer about anything. I swear to God, if you asked Dr. David Williams, how are you today, he would answer with, 
Well, it all depends on the sleep I had last night and whether or not I had a quality constitutional and whether the coffee was made. And all of that rolls into an important question about whether I chose the right footwear on my way because it was snowing outside. So these are all important questions. Well, thanks, Doc. Can we contrast Doc Williams for just one moment with this answer? From Dr. Steiny Brown, who was also at the modeling update. This is Steiny Brown with an answer to a question from journalist from journalist Randy Rath. How possible is it that there will a variant will emerge that the vaccine does not work against? It's quite possible. Mic drop. Thank you. First of all, that's terrifying. Uh, and as you read more about some of the details coming out of the, and I don't have the number in front of me, but the variant that is linked to the country of Brazil, it is not the Brazilian variant. No jokes, please. Can't do that. WHO says no, no. But there are concerns that that particular strain may actually be outside the efficacy of the vaccines that we have now. We have a number of vaccine makers already saying, well, we're looking at a booster shot. So now we're looking at that, and that's that's a big concern. All of that is a concern. And the thing is, it's not remarkably new. But what is new is travel concerns. Hooray! Hooray. Well, we've told you for a week that we're going to do it, kids. And now we've gone and done it. You know, it's like a toddler before bedtime. You give them a half-hour warning. 20, 15 minutes, 10, 10 minutes to bedtime. Don't freak out. The other big news that came out of the update today is that Moderna is cutting back the number of vaccine shipments to Canada. That's on top of the news that we got yesterday that Pfizer is also drawing down, further drawing down the number of expected shipments of vaccines. So we're getting even fewer vaccine doses in the short term. The prime minister was quick to point out, don't freak out. It's just a temporary thing. We're still going to get all, we're going to get everything. It's like the contractor that you hire to come and finish your basement and they just tear everything out and then they say, well, we'll, we'll be back later to fix that. And you just think, man, I hope that comes true. Because the nervousness with the VOCs, the concerns about the spread, even though the modeling numbers were good yesterday, and, and I, I got to end this really on on a high note because Steiny Brown said yesterday. I mean, look at the look at what's happening in the UK. Yes, they have a VOC B one one seven, more transmissible, but their case numbers are coming down sharply because they have done the right thing and they put in very strict lockdowns. Our case numbers are coming down, and Steiny Brown said this, even with the VOCs, and by no means are we out of the woods, but even with the VOCs in place and spreading here in the province of Ontario, if we continue to do the right thing, if we continue to do the things that we have been doing, which is stay at la maison, then we might be able to really, to actually open schools again on time, mid-February, that's a possibility, and my goodness, we need, we need the kids to go back to school, do we not? And that is the good news. That's, that's the high point 
on this Friday dump. JT just pulling up and just dumping out the news. The big news, if you were listening in our last segment, was an announcement by the Prime Minister of the cancellation of flights to any sun destinations of the Caribbean beginning on Sunday and the imposition of new travel restrictions, many of them that have been telegraphed before, namely if you come back into the country, not only are you required to have a negative COVID test from 72 hours before you come into the country, remember that was announced back on, it was it January the 7th, but now the new announcement is that you will also be required to have a test once you arrive in Canada and you got to pay for your own hotel, about two grand, you got to stay in a hotel for three days until you get that test processed and then if it's negative then you still got to go home and self-isolate if it's positive then you have to stay in a government sanctioned isolation facility doesn't that sound fun so that is the big news uh, from the federal government today let's turn our mind to what's going on online with the investors with the bathroom investors and check the stock market and what's going on You, you may have been following what's happening with this whole GameStop thing, and you may be thinking to yourself, God, I don't understand this thing. I do not get it. And I tell you, everywhere you look today, it doesn't matter, everywhere you look, online, in the paper, everybody's got an explainer. But to me, this I think this is my favorite explainer. It comes from uh, Avalon Penrose, who is a writer and performer who posted this to Twitter, and it's just gone absolutely viral. This is Avalon Penrose, a portion of her trying to explain what is going on with this whole GameStop thing. There was this online reading club that was like, well, not today. We want hedges too. And so they took, they um, went into their bank accounts and then they also went to the market and they were like, "Uh, bye, bye, bye of the company and uh, changed it a lot. And so now uh, the initial people, the hedges have to um, give, they have to give their hedges, I think, to the other people. Uh, So yeah, if you have any questions, just let me know. Thanks, Avalon Penrose, with I think what a lot of people... So there's a story about hedges. Uh, If there is a bustle in your hedgerow, get along now. It is just a sprinkling of the May Queen. And that really, I think, is the easiest explanation of what is happening uh, with this uh, investor revolution going on. Now let's check the stock right now on GameStop for those of you who are paying attention. Currently trading at 348 Bucks that is down from earlier today when it was up as high as 381. It went on an absolute roller coaster yesterday uh, after the app, uh, the trading app Robinhood, stopped uh, any trades in it, and, and that has called that has prompted calls for an SEC investigation into what's happened. I let let's get a better explainer, a real explainer here as to what is really going on here. And this is Andy Willis from the Globe and Mail. 
A couple of really big, really high-profile, really socially media-active U.S. hedge funds. One of them is named Melvin Capital. The other one is uh, called Citron Research. They were betting against uh, GameStop. They were really, really out there with their negative views. They basically said GameStop's going to go broke, and they did bets in the market that were all predicated on the fact that the stock price would go down. And what happened was a lot of individual investors were getting together on forums like Reddit. They took the opposite view. They said, you know what? We like GameStop. We're going to buy the stock. And uh, when you do that, when you get a lot of buying interest at once, all of a sudden the hedge funds started losing money. That is Andy Willis from the Globe and Mail. And a couple of hedge funds took absolutely massive hits. One looks like it's going to go belly up. Uh, and the question, though, is... In the wake of all of this, in the wake of this sort of small investor revolution sort of targeting the hedge funds, and that's much of the narrative you might be hearing out there about this David and Goliath. It's the small guy sticking it to Wall Street. But the question, Andy Willis, is what happens now? Individual investors who kind of won the day, they've defeated these hedge funds, they've forced them out of the markets. What do they do now? Do they have the good sense to sell and take their profits because... Long-term, GameStop is, is not a great company. It's, it's, it's really going to struggle against companies like Amazon. But, but a lot of these retail investors are so caught up in what they've done, they want to get, make even more money. And, and the trading activity has been absolutely crazy. That is Andy Willis uh, from the Globe and Mail. And, and here's an update this morning. Citron Research, and uh, uh, Andy was talking about that as one of the major hedge fund uh, investors that was targeted by the small investors. And Citron Research this morning say, says it's going to discontinue offering short-selling analysis after 20 years of providing the service. In other words, it is not going to publish, not going to let anybody know about what to short. Uh, Citron made the decision after battling with day traders over GameStop earlier this month. It suspended its scheduled live stream aimed at explaining its positions on the company uh, due to too many people hacking Citron Twitter. So is, is this, you know, you've seen all kinds of think pizzas out there about, you know, is this an extension of the mob? Is this, is this somehow QAnon now not, no longer targeting the U.S. Capitol, but actually targeting Wall Street? And that's not really the story. It is not the story. But there is a big issue out there, and Navneet Alang from the Toronto Star writes, it points to how the aggregating power of social media allows a very small number of people to distort and disrupt. Yes, it's better than hedge fund managers manipulating markets for the rich, but is allowing a handful of people to influence markets really that much better? How are we to understand what the public is thinking if the public can change depending on the whims of a few users of a notorious social news site? And this is so true because, you know, much of the discussion is, well, look, hedge fund managers, they, you know, they go on the financial news networks and, you know, they have their their stock calls and investor calls and meetings and they can hype up whatever they want to hype up. Well, why should the small guy not be able to go onto a social media site and do precisely the same thing? And I, I don't know which one is better. I mean, they're both bad. But just handing it to the mob doesn't seem like a good idea. And Andy Willis, is it going to stop? Folks who are on Reddit, the individual investors who spend a lot of time online and frankly don't have a lot of else to do in the pandemic, 
they're going to take runs at other stocks. Like they've, they've seen their, they got a taste mm-hmm. of power on, on this GameStop story. Um, they've also pushed up and down stocks like BlackBerry in Canada. Um, they've gone after the silver market. So I, I think unless there is, I don't know how you change the rules to stop this kind of activity. And I think we're going to see a lot of this really volatile, somewhat abusive um, trading at, at, on other stocks going forward. It, and who is getting rich, by the way, at Sandy Willis from the Globe of Mail? Who is getting rich in all of this? From Reuters this morning, three BlackBerry executives. You hear Andy talk about the BlackBerry stock. Three BlackBerry executives, including the chief financial officer, have sold $1.7 million of the telecoms tech firm stock in the early days of the share price rise. Executives sold their holdings on January 20th at, range, at prices ranging from 12 bucks to 13 bucks a share, nearly double what the stock had been trading just a week earlier. Well, that's a nice gain. Let's see. Let's just check BlackBerry. Let's see. I'll give you those numbers again. They sold them between 12 and $13 a share. Right now, BlackBerry is down, trading at 20 bucks. 20 bucks! Didn't time that. But nevertheless, those executives got rich. And if you think that you can just start timing the market from the bathroom on your laptop, it's not going to be you. Not likely. Maybe you'll be one of the ones that makes some money, but maybe you will be one of the ones ending up holding the bag when all of this falls away. Robinhood, which is this trading app, that yesterday came under such fire for saying, okay, well, we're going to you know, stop trading in GameStop. They've restarted with some restrictions on it. It is essentially, in many ways, the new Uber, the new Airbnb. What it has done, it has opened up with sort of no fee trading, which a bunch of other brokers have matched. It has brought into the market all of these small-time investors, many of them with a lot more time on their hands, because we're at home, many of them with a lot more money in their pocket because they're not spending it on anything else, and now they've decided to just trade, 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 trade. It's like a slot machine. And, and when I compare it to Uber or Airbnb, I want you to remember when those two disruptors came online. You know, all the talk about Uber is like, power to the little guy. It's going to be you're going to be able to make a couple extra bucks with your car. You already own it. You're your own businessman. You're your own entrepreneur. The new when Airbnb came out, like you can now turn your basement into a moneymaker. It's empowering the little guy. And frankly, you know, the things that it replaced, like who mourns the loss of terrible taxi service? I don't think anybody mourns that. It was terrible. You know, or having to go and pay a ton of money to stay at some sketchy Motel 6 instead of being able to look online and find an Airbnb exactly where you want. Who misses that? Nobody. There have been improvements, but along the way, those disruptions have had far greater unforeseen consequences. The impact of Airbnb on affordability in cities. The impact of Uber on creating a underclass of gig uh, gig economy employees with no benefits, low wages, no protections. I don't know 
where this is all going to end up, this whole GameStop thing, this revolution from below. But I can tell you this. Everything I've seen from Silicon Valley and every kind of disruption that I see where, you know, initially the thought is, isn't this great? It's given power to all of us. We can stick it to the man. We can stick it to the system. Every single time, it turns out that the people on the bottom end up suffering and the rich just get richer. And that's what's going to happen here as well. Oh, yeah, the weekend's here, the weekend's here. I think I might head down to the local pot shop, pick myself up a vape pen, head over to the Metro, get myself a bottle of Wayne Gretzky Chardonnay, maybe get myself a 12-pack of those Chinese backdoor COVID swabs and just call it a Friday. Yeah! Now, here, here's the thing. If I want to order something specific from the Ontario Cannabis Store, let me just get on here. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but cannabis is legal in Canada. And I want something in a BC bud. Oh, yeah, here, I can click on this. Oh, Whistler, Whistler Cannabis Company. I can get myself shipped right to my door. I can get myself some sweet BC weed. Fantastic. Check that off the list. Now here I go over. Let's get some liquor. Now let's get some wine, some quality wine. Maybe something from, I don't know, the Okanagan. Something, something sweet. Maybe I don't want the Wayne Gretzky. Maybe I want something from Burrowing Owl. Maybe I'd like something from Mission Hill. Maybe What, you haven't heard of those wineries? Maybe you've heard of Mission Hill. Maybe the other one you haven't heard of. Well, maybe you haven't heard of them because you can't get them. And you can't get them. Because, crazily, in this country, we have all these trade restrictions on actually sending alcohol back and forth across the country. Now, in June of 2019, the federal government removed all federal restrictions on interprovincial shipping of liquor. This after that uh, Supreme Court case about the guy with the beer and the Maritimes, you may remember that. But provinces still are entitled to govern the supply of booze within their own borders. And that means that provinces have chosen to do, you know, effectively put up barriers so that you can't get direct consumer shipped alcohol in most provinces. Conservative MP Dan Alvis represents a riding in central Okanagan, and he has tabled a bill dubbed Buy, Sip, and Ship. And he joins me on the line. Welcome, Dan. Hi, Alan. Thanks for having me. Tell me about this and what you're trying to achieve here with Bill C-260. Well, exactly what you said. If someone you know hears about a great wine in the Okanagan, that they would have the option just to go on the internet. Uh, look, with COVID restrictions, Canadians are utilizing home delivery more and more, uh, so they're using that so that they can stay safe. But that's meant that many uh, in many small and medium-sized uh, breweries, distillers, uh, and distilleries and uh, wineries, the foot traffic has dropped immensely. And oftentimes they don't have the volume uh, to be able to sell to the LCBO. So if they can't sell through their farm gate uh, or at their store on site, they can't sell at all. Uh, And that's just not fair. It's the 21st century. So this private member's bill would allow for someone to do that. Now, right now, someone in the Okanagan can get some Prince Edward County or some Essex or, or some Niagara wine, but there's not that same reciprocity. That's wrong. 
is this just protectionism uh, in terms of the provinces? You know, is, it, is this protectionism on the part of Ontario trying to protect the Niagara wine industry and saying, gee, you know, that Okanagan wine's pretty good. I don't think we want it around here. Well, every time I've, I've moved on these things, and I put a bill forward in 2012 uh, that was finally approved to open up the federal restrictions on Canadian wine, uh, it was the liquor distribution monopolies. Uh, so it's the provincial liquor monopolies that oppose this. They want to be the only game in town. Uh, they want to force you to, to purchase from them. You, you talked about California Chardonnays. Ten, uh, out of every 10 bottles of wine consumed in Canada, seven of them are foreign. That's wrong. If you go to France, if you go to the United States, you're going to see their product prominently displayed because they have that domestic support. And if, that's one of the reasons why they're able to get the economies of scale and able to compete internationally. What we do to our small and medium-sized distillers, uh, distilleries and, and brewers and wineries keeps them small and keeps them weak. And with COVID-19, uh, just throwing, uh, you, know, a, you know, a shoe in, into their works, it's, 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 we'll see a lot of them decide not to continue. My bill would, in, in fact, give them the opportunity to sell to any Canadian who's willing, a willing buyer and a willing seller. Right now, these liquor monopolies are stopping that. Are you expecting more opposition from the LCBO? Well, they, they said in a piece today in the Toronto Star that they're watching the bill and, and that, uh, uh, I, I guess it was the Minister of Finance said that they want to see the free trade of, of Canadian products that are good for the consumer. So I'm very hopeful it'll get supported. And look, if a province doesn't want it, that's fine. They can go in front of uh, their legislative assembly as a premier, say we're going to prohibit this for this reason, but it's a two-way street, meaning that if they ban importation uh, from other provinces, well, they can't send out. Uh, and so they, they, you can't have it both ways uh, where you're protecting your own industry and, uh, and, and it's at the same time giving them more opportunity. That's not Canadian. We know we make some of the best products. We know that Canadians want to support Canadian. We know that these small business owners could go broke uh, because of COVID. Let's help them out. I, I think perhaps if, you know, if there was a small winery or a producer, you know, the Prince Edward County, I love going out there in Ontario, and Kinsip is a, a, a small distillery. I love it there. And they might be thinking to themselves, well, wait a second, if we take down these trade barriers, yeah, we might be able to ship more elsewhere, but we might also get hurt. And that, you know, that we have this kind of localized economy where we're encouraging people to buy local and that we need people here in Ontario to buy from Ontario distillers and producers. I think that that sentiment might be out there. I wonder if you could address it. Well, again, people, if you're making a great product and people are coming to it and then they share it with their friends and family of the great experience and they can easily go online to order more from you, that's good for that particular business. And you know what? We don't favor businesses. What we say is that if you have a great product and, you, and you're good to people, you'll make money in this country. It shouldn't matter what part of the country you're in. And like I said, this needs to have reciprocity. Right now, we don't have that reciprocity. In fact, uh, we have it where some, uh, some producers have, better stay, have a better play than others. Uh, that's wrong in a, in a united country. Look, we're 150-odd years into this confederation. Uh, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what political stripe you are. Uh, I think we need to say that if you, uh, you know, if you have a dream, if you want to make a great product, you should be able to sell to anyone in your own country. Right now, it's easier to sell to people in London, England, than it is to sell to people in London, Ontario, from my province. That's a problem. 
Conservative MP Dan Albus, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I ask everybody this question as I wrap up my show because it's been a, a tough couple of weeks. It's been a tough year so far. What gives you joy? How, where do you find joy, Dan? I find joy with my kids. Um, one of my youngest is learning how to read, and so I try to read to her every night. Dan, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks so much, Alan. Appreciate the time. So that's how Dan finds joy. Dan Albus from uh, the Okanagan. Great to have him on. I think that's an important uh, issue. It would be nice to be able to get some, you know, wines from the Okanagan delivered to your door. Maybe that's the thing that gives you joy. What is it? The thing. What is the thing that you do that helps you relax? I have. I have started now, and this. I am going to admit this on the air. Just hold on here, because here we go. I have started something so dorky. Um, because I have gotten to a point where I just can't watch any more television or consume any more news when I go home. It's what I do all day long. I doom scroll on Twitter, I, you know, watching the news feeds. I watch CNN, and I just needed something else. So you know what I've decided to do? I'm making models now. I'm putting models together. Yeah, wicked dork, wicked dorky, and not just any model. Um, I'm particularly, I'm building World War II airplanes, World War II fighter planes, and in particular, this one. The pronunciation is this. Focke-Wolf. Yeah. The Focke-Wolf. That's what I'm building. Right now, I put myself a little craft table together, uh, and I'm meticulously painting my Focke-Wolf. And it just helps me lower my blood pressure. And so I'm going to paint it. Uh, um, I'm going to glue my focal wolf together. I'm going to apply uh, decals to it. Uh, and then I'm going to play with my focal wolf. Focal wolf. That's, that's the plane I'm talking. It's a plane. It's a fighter plane. It was... Uh, uh, Heavily involved in the Second World War, was really the backbone of the Luftwaffe. Very active in the Battle of Britain. In fact, here's a great little historical thing. There was a German pilot who mistook uh, an airfield. He thought he was landing in the Low Countries. This is in the Battle of Britain. And he actually landed his his plane, his, how do you say it? Focke-Wolf. His Focke-Wolf. He landed his Focke-Wolf in Britain, and that's how the uh, the British actually got their hands on their very first Focke-Wolf. So that's the history of the Focke-Wolf. And it, you know what? It's wicked dorky. Is that the dorkiest thing you've ever heard? It is. And I don't care, because you know what? It gives me some peace. And what I hope for you, this weekend, is it with all the bad news out there about the variants of concern and the modeling numbers and the drawdown on the vaccine shipments and the stay-at-home order and your hair is crazy and all the rest of it? It's tough to handle. It's tough to process it all. So what I hope for you this weekend is you find your very own Focke-Wolf. Focke-Wolf. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget, The Alan Carter Show, weekdays, starting at noon.